From deep inside the vaults of the Holmes Archive of Electronic Music, here is Tom Holmes, your curator and guide to vintage electronic music and audio experimentation. This episode, Monophonic Imagination, a conversation with Aki Onda. Hi, this is Tom Holmes, and welcome to the podcast. What does an urban garden sound like during the pandemic? New York City, the East Village, and Lower East Side are populated with small urban gardens, each of which is a piece of public land maintained by local volunteers from the neighborhood. Some have vegetables, some have flowers, some have fish in little ponds, and they serve as a refuge, a spot of quiet away from the hustle and bustle of the city. But what happens during the pandemic when most of these city gardens are closed? That's when Aki Onda, Japanese sound artist who lived in New York City at the time, decided to record soundscapes in many of these gardens. In this episode, we're going to look back on a year of quiet in the city gardens. Aki Onda has lived in and around the East Village in New York for the past 20 years. After living through much of the pandemic, he and his wife decided to move back to Japan until things get settled down again. Living in a rural country town in Japan, the atmosphere is much different than the hustle and bustle of the East Village. But he set up a studio for himself in a facility once used for weddings so he could continue his sound work. I spoke with Aki who is in Japan. This episode will feature his piece called Silence Prevails, East Village Community Gardens During the Pandemic 2020. We will hear that work in entirety. It consists of a sequence of seven soundscapes made in seven different city gardens. We will also explore the music of one of Aki's inspirations, composer Jose Masida from the Philippines, a pioneer of pan-Asian electronic and contemporary classical music, whose work we will hear. I asked Aki about being a member of the East Village community. Actually, I moved to the United States in 2000 from Japan. I was living in Tokyo back in the 90s and sometimes, sometimes in London. Then, but even before that, you know, especially back in the 90s, I started visiting New York quite often. You know, East Village was where artists used to live. So I had so many friends and it was always easy to sublet. You know, like a musician's artist, they travel. Yes. So that's why, you know, I spent a lot of time in the East Village. We talked about the origin of his idea to record the city gardens. 
So actually, I was planning this project for some years. Then I finally decided to kick off, you know, the project in the year 2019. Mm -hmm. Then getting into 2020, pandemic started, you know, last March. I thought it could be interesting to document anyway during the pandemic, mm -hmm. which is unusual time because all gardens were shut down it was super quiet nobody was there were you able to get access to the gardens even when they were closed it basically no so i started contacting each gardens you know individual gardens and most of them said yes so i could visit and do field recordings and you know taking memos for the text. And it was really interesting experience. You know, usually, you know, people are there, but nobody is there. So what was your approach to recording in each of the gardens? Just uh, spend some time. And I actually, you know, some gardens I visited every week. Hmm. There's only one garden which was open even the middle of the pandemic. And that was, you know, El Jordan de Paraiso, you know, which means actually Garden of Paradise in English, which is mm -hmm. on in between, you know, East Fourth and East Fifth, which is actually the largest garden. You know, there, there are actually how many gardens? 50 to 60 gardens total. But, you know, that was actually, you know, most people hung out there was, you know, Hispanic people. And, you know, they just didn't follow the rules. <laughs> there was some sort of anarchic mood, which East Village used to have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody respects the rules, and, you know, people are their own, used to be. But, you know, it's really, that kind of atmosphere really changed. So some got many gardens I just visited once, some or twice, but they actually, I started visiting garden probably in April, then close to July and August, some mm -hmm. gardens started open again. We then talked about the process of creating Silence Prevails, beginning with the amount of raw sound material that he captured. I recorded total 40 hours of recording. And that was with a cassette recorder? Yes, mm -hmm. I only use, you know, portable cassette recorders, you know, handheld Walkman type. And reason is, you know, I've been using that since the end of 80s. And I like the characteristic of the cassette sound. And I only use, you know, attached microphone, cheap one. Yeah. Instead of using, you know, external, better quality microphones. Because I realized I can get more of a characteristic of the cassette sound in that way. If you had 40 hours of cassettes, there was, there's a lot of mixing down that you've done or selection. How, how did you go about that process? One side of the cassette, I was using 90 minutes tape, which means one side is 45 minutes. So some recording are 45 minutes long. It varies. And uh, the process, was really simple. I started digitizing those cassettes 
Uh, always actually, I always use, you know, uh, vintage tube amplifier. So all sound went through that. Then, you know, started editing down. The final piece was like 40 minutes, mm -hmm. you know, 40 hours to 40 minutes. So editing was almost like a composing process. I didn't actually, you know, mix any sound means, you know, basically cassette sound is mono. For me to call it mi a mix down is, is a misnomer. You were basically editing sounds and they yeah. happened one after another. Yes. So I like that kind of simplicity. Yeah. There's a distinctive character to some of these recordings. Were there particular sounds in different gardens that lured you to them? I think there were crickets and lots of uh, insects. It's almost as if you found a pocket of crickets and put your cassette recorder in there to record them. Yeah, actually during the recording, sound is there. So I don't have to choose any sound in a sense. You know, I just capture, I just capture what's in front of me. Were you surprised at any of the results when you came back and listened back to the tapes? Were you surprised that you got some sounds that you hadn't really heard when you were in, in the garden? Sometimes, yes, because, and you know, when we listen to sound, we are filtering and choosing some sound with our ears. But you know, cassette recorders, it just captured the sound there. That's something that surprised me. Like, you know, like the cricket sound. Sound was everywhere in the garden. I went to garden in the morning first, then it's no cricket sound. And in the afternoon again, but no cricket sound. But in the evening, crickets was all over the garden. So it was like an ocean of cricket sound. But you know, when I record it, you hear sound which is closer to you and you, the sound far from you at the same time. I captured more layers in a sense. When I was there, I felt like you know, it just one sound with all cricket. With the recording, I captured somehow layers and different distances from the sources. So that was actually an interesting point. So do you have your Sony cassette player nearby? I have, yeah, yeah, I have. I actually have more than 150. <laughs> I but, knew it. <laughs> uh, the model called TCM 48. Yeah. 70 to 80% of those machines are this model. Mm -hmm. Because this model was actually made back in 90s, uh, only in Japan, manufactured only in Japan. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it has really good sound considering the price. It was, you know, less than 100 bucks. But it's still, you know, kind of expensive model uh, compared to the standard of the Walkman. And uh, it has actually simplicity in terms of, you know, kind of functions like play or record or forward or rewind. It's a really simple one. And uh, it has backside of this, it has a kind of larger speakers. So it's kind of easy to play back and check sound. The nice thing about those, they're very simple to record with. You just push the record button and that's it. <laughs> it's, it's even kind of primitive. Like, you know, any other uh, cheap 
portable recorders. Parts are kind of cheaply made. So it doesn't last so long, maybe, you know, decade or two decades. Here are Aki's thoughts on how the low-fidelity cassette medium can provide added focus for the listener. You know, sound conveys certain kind of information, but, you know, it doesn't convey other kind of information. You know, if it's visual, like, you know, you, if you take a video, comes with, you know, just more information, which you can recognize easily. But sound is much, in a sense, much more abstract. For me, it kind of opens up imagination. So if you listen to the sound, you know, sound of water, uh, which I captured in La Plaza Community Garden, if you just if you listen to the sound, it doesn't have to be the specific place, but it could be another place. It's interesting that you, when you use the word imagination uh, as as kind of the trigger for the listener. Because when I'm listening to it, uh, you made me, you just made me think of this. It's monophonic. Yeah. So it's not stereophonic even. And there's less information there than you normally get. So you have to listen very carefully. And, and you were talking about the layers of sound that like the cricket sounds. And that's what, when you listen that carefully, you begin to notice those layers. And when it, because it's monophonic, it almost is more effective. It's a, in other words, it's more inside of the listener than a, stereo, a full stereophonic production that is bombarding one from all sides. It's very simple, but because of that, you, it does fire one's imagination, I think. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, that's what I want to sort of trigger. So in a sense, you know, listeners can imagine whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really have to be specific something. You know, it was my experience, but you know, their experience could be different. I actually trained as a music producer when I was young. So mm -hmm. back in, in my 20s, it was 90s, you know, I was uh, working in studios. I don't know, it costed $3,000 per day to mm -hmm. work in a studio. So I know how quarter inch and half inch tape sounds different. You know, after that, I just started focusing on cassette, which is almost the opposite. <laughs> There's lots of technique. Even it's monophonic, yeah. there's lots of techniques. And you know, you can really expand the sound. Okay, okay, if you put mono, mono sound, I just want mono sound at the center. And also, you know, if you put two mono sound, right and right, right and left, those sound quite different. There's so many ways to play mono sound. Let's listen now to Aki Onda's sound work called Silence Prevails, East Village Community Gardens during the pandemic 2020.
should I start it or? Yes. The other one you're resting on is full, so that's all good. That was Silence Prevails, East Village Community Gardens During the Pandemic 2020 by Japanese sound artist Aki Onda. Finally, we talked about one of Aki's most admired composers, Jose Masida from the Philippines. Aki talked about Masida's piece called Ugnayan for 20 tapes to be played over the radio. It was composed in 1974 during the regime of President Ferdinand Marcos, the authoritarian leader of the Philippines at the time. What is it about his music that attracts you? I started learning about his work back in the 90s in Japan because he was a little known in this country. Mm. A pianist, Yuji Takahashi, who was yes. special for avant-garde music, was actually instrumental to promoting his work in Japan. And he translated book, which is a collection of Maceda's the essays, you know, Maceda wrote. Mm-hmm. And Maceda was actually a musicologist before becoming a composer. It's kind of, he has an interesting career. He started actually his career as a pianist and studied you know, in France back in the 50s. You know, he kept studying Western music. You know, Philippines is an interesting country, maybe because, you know, it had uh, uh, centuries of Spanish and American colonization. And, uh, but so Maceda was you know, really into Western music. And, um, and then when he was studying at the, in the Columbia University, mm-hmm. you know, he was studying musicology, he realized there's a rich, a music tradition in Philippines, his you know his native countries. Then after that, you know he moved back, went back to the country and worked as a musicologist and did so much few recordings. You know he was also using tape recorder, cassette recorder, also quarter inch. And you know he collected, he traveled all around countries and collected documentation of uh, traditional music. And he also started actually the same in different Asian countries. He has a vast amount of uh, knowledge about Asian music. After that, somehow, you know, he started composing music himself. Mm-hmm. So he has two backgrounds, you know, yeah. Western music and actually Eastern music. And he, in a sense, combined both. So if you listen to his music, especially, you know, kind of first half of his career, he was actually only using a traditional instrument. So it sounds quite Asian, but the structure is completely, in a sense, you know, Western. Back in the 70s, okay, one of the, his, probably his most ambitious compositions, he used 20 radio stations to play back his 20-track tape, you know, music composition. Then he was using also, you know, notorious Marcos regime, who was controlling media at that time. 1974, on New Year's Day, he played back 51 minutes composition through 20 radio stations. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is said, you know, millions of people 
listen to that. And also, he actually asked people to bring radios to public spaces. He actually set up in 142、uh, listening points in the city. Millions of people get together. And it was actually really controversial and also really unusual because of the Marcos regime declared martial law two years earlier.、Mm. So people couldn't go out during the night. But still, actually, the regime helped this extraordinary experiment. So I kind of basically interested in his kind of imagination, you know, how to expand music in public space. He was kind of forgotten for decades. Eventually, Tsarik Johnson published you know, three albums, but you know, many other compositions were not published yet.、Mm. And you know, his music is rarely performed. He was actually against the politics, and he hated being involved in the politics.、Yeah. But you know, that was the only way to present his work. And also, you know, he suggested, in a sense, you know, something unusual. Against the, against the you know, sense regime, you know, like in bringing people outside in the journey martial law. He just wanted to realize that kind of ambitious project. Here is an excerpt from Ugnayan by Jose Masida. We will hear about 22 minutes from the second half of this work.
That was Ugnayan by Jose Masida. Thanks so much to Aki Onda for sharing his Masida story with us and for having a conversation around his own sound art practices and sharing his recording of Silence Prevails. The playlist for this episode, located on the website for this podcast, includes links to other works and material by Aki Onda. There you will also find extensive notes by Aki for Silence Prevails, including a map of the city gardens of the East Village with notes about the history and sounds of each location. If you would like to know more about the history of electronic music, please read my book, Electronic and Experimental Music, 6th Edition, published by Routledge. Thanks so much for joining us and listening to this conversation with Aki Onda. All of the music heard in this podcast, unless otherwise indicated, is brought to you from the Holmes Archive of Electronic Music, a curated collection of vintage recordings. For a complete playlist, go to theholmesarchive.podbean.com. All crackles, surface noise, and other imperfections heard in this podcast are purely intentional. All intro, outro, and other incidental music is by Tom Holmes, unless otherwise noted in the playlist. For notes about this episode, please see the blog Noise and Notations at tomholmes.com. So long from deep inside the Holmes Archive of Electronic Music.